like you can use the app to randomly generate your objectives too. So if you don't want right. to pull them from yeah. the deck, you can just use the app. Yeah. No, it's 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 pretty slick. She she was saying we have a a good tournament app and a good um, list building app. Yeah, I I'm kind of I'm actually confused. I don't I don't <laughs> I don't I don't know what to do. I'm like, wait a minute, this I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's bringing home trophies. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, I went to Show Me Showdown uh, last weekend, and I actually brought home a thing. Uh, and some of my experiences there is going to lead to our main topic, which is a tale of two Xenos, in which we will be comparing <laughs> two different Xenos armies and looking at the... the uh, design differences and balance differences and see if that kind of points to uh, a direction where some of the game is at present. Uh, but but first, uh, let's talk about some games that we have played over the last couple of weeks. And I will open up with, uh, I did eight games, my first eight game tournament uh, at yeah. Show Me Showdown. I think I alluded to that last episode, if not stated and, it correctly. Here and directly. Rob, I'll just say that that's, in my mind, super impressive, because even when I went to the U.S. Open, um, when I did the competitive event, I only did the six rounds. I, I kind of stepped out on those last two games. So uh, doing eight, well done. I I played 2,000-point games yesterday, and then I went home and took a nap. So, <laughs> I, I eight games. It it was a lot, um, and I will say, like I spent most of the time because I'm playing Tau, so I spent most of the time in the bottom brackets. Although I won my first two games, and Kevin, you know that experience where you're like, mm -hmm. oh no. Oh no! I'm in danger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, third round, I fought the guy who ended up winning the tournament. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, there was very much a oh no, I'm in danger. Uh, but, um, but I know I had a really good time. Uh, Nathan Martin runs the Show Me Showdown, has run it for several years. Uh, they are now. Uh, locked in to having it in Lee Summit, Missouri, which happens to be, you know, where I'm living. And so uh, it was nice to have a basically a super major that was 10 minutes from my house. I won't complain about that at all. Being able to go home and sleep in my own bed and have a nice like home cooked dinner waiting for me. It was it was pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so that did help me last and i will say the john knox pavilion where it was held is a very good venue um they, mm -hmm. they had food and alcohol on site there was plenty of space the tables were not cramped together at all oh, that's important it, yeah yeah and they I had mean, you know like 120 130 <clears throat> players so john knox village was one of the venues that we looked at for midwest conquest at, it at was, various yeah. points so like it's a really nice venue and i'm really glad that they that they were able to make it work because that's that's a nice it's a nice location it's easy to get to you know mm -hmm. it, 
it's just good to see more events like that. I'm glad yeah, to see and uh, Nathan's growth. Yeah, and I think they're locked in there for the next couple of years at least. So they'll be back next year around the same time of the year, which, you know, mid-July. It's a nice time to also be in a nice, big, air-conditioned pyramid. <laughs> yes, it is a pyramid for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's, But, it, it, no, it was, a good, it was a good experience, and I had a lot of fun. Um, I'm not going to go too far into depth on my games. I'll just kind of give you the, the broad strokes of each. Um, so first game was against, uh, Vincent Payne. I, I, some of these, I have the, f- the first initial, some of them I do remember the, the name, uh, first game was against Vincent Payne who was playing blood angels and like his, this, he said like, this was his fourth game of 10th edition. Like he was very new. He and his son basically bought a couple of Leviathan boxes, bought a couple extra, kits beyond that and have been putting together models and playing. So, um, so this was, it was a little bit more of a learning game. Um, I, so we only got a couple of rounds in, but Vincent was a great guy. He learned a lot. Um, and I kind of approached it as, you know, as though I was teaching somebody how to play. So, you know, taking my time, explaining what I'm doing, and he was picking up on things and kind of figuring out tactics. Um, So, again, we only went two rounds. I did end up winning 45 to 37. Um, I don't know. Like, if we had gone a full five, I think it still would have been a relatively close game. It just depends on who would have thinned out who more as far as scoring go, you know, for scoring opportunities later. Um, But uh, I... Had a good time teaching somebody uh, a little bit more about playing 40k. Uh, second game was against Matthew Box, who was playing Astra Militarum. I have not gotten a chance to play Guard before in 10th edition, so uh, he was also playing. He was playing very Krieg heavily. Had a beautifully painted army, like very nicely done tanks, especially. And if you want to see those, um, they are actually on the War Games Live Patreon stream. We got to play on one of the streaming tables where, but it wasn't streaming. It was just recorded for Patreon. Patrons to watch later. So if you go check out the War Games Live Patreon and subscribe there, you can actually see me play three rounds of uh, 10th edition against a really fun to play guard player. Um, you'll hear a lot of references to Timmy the Lone Breacher who got smeared by a Scout Sentinel chainsword or chainsaw, and the rest of the Breacher team basically fought that Sentinel to a standoff for like four full rounds of combat. So. Uh, yeah, no, we, we had a, we had a good time. I ended up winning that one 46 to 33. And I think that's one where if I had just kept the pressure up, um, I, I think I probably would have ended up winning that one if we had gone the extra two rounds. Um, but, uh, uh, and though in both of those games, like ghost heals for tower, like one of the best units, they get work done. They annoy people to no end because they are hard to target because you got to be within 12 inches to shoot them. And, like, guard doesn't want to be within 12 inches of anyone anyway. So, uh, although he did have, uh, like, he had uh, a unit of, like, 20 Krieg with uh, two medics. That squad was never going to die, because two medics bring back 2d3 models every turn. (laughs) Yeah. Um, On the other hand, he had Lord Solar... And a command squad in a blob squad of 20 guardsmen. Uh, by the end of turn one, it was just Lord Solar. 
I, I breachers massacred that squad with with gunpowder gunfire. It was just breachers are really good at killing weak things. It's it's impressive. And, uh, and Rob, I'll, I'll say this: it feels like if you have a strong named character or epic hero, the people with them are just extra wounds for that character. Is what it really or less, feels like in this yeah. edition. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a reason why they're referred to as bodyguard units. So, <laughs> uh, so now, I, so at this point, I'm two and zero. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good, but I'm also, I know Kevin's curse of, you know, hey, I won my first two games. Oh no, I'm in danger. And danger, I was in because, as I said, I ended up playing Trainer Wolf, who won the entire event. And I will say that the top three spots at the event were Eldari, Eldari, and Eldari. So, um. So, yes, I ended up fighting Eldari, a very bright pink Eldari, I might add. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, as someone who has painted Emperor's Children, I can respect a good pink paint job. And this was very nicely done. Uh, no Wraith Knight. Uh, instead, I think Triple Prism, Double Night Spinner, uh, Triple Hornet. That was a surprising one to see Hornets on the table. Um Couple war walkers, couple of support batteries, um, and I believe I want to say rangers, wraith, or rangers, uh, warp spiders, and I think he had shadow specters. I didn't see all of it because I was dead by the middle of turn three. Um, I guess, uh, um, fire prisms are rough, real rough to deal with, uh, especially because of how flexible their firepower is. Uh, cause I miss having submunition bursts, but they have blasts. So, um, they're very, just very, very flexible units and just oh, with everything else, it was just very difficult to deal with it. I scored not counting the 10 points for fully painted. I scored 10 points that entire game, uh, yeah, just on secondaries. Right, right now. I think the fire prism's only real weakness is it's only T9, Mm-hmm. Um, but Eldar have lots of things where they can just move it. So I shot. Okay, now I'm I'm going to move it back here, out of yep. line of sight. Uh, yeah, that jump shoot jump is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good ability. Not so, better at all yeah. as a former tower player. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have strike and fade. We have jump shoot jump. It's it's I know. You know, I know. And I use it quite a bit actually. <laughs> um, that one we were also playing the ritual, and he was just able to set up objectives way more easily than I could. I couldn't get anything out there to last long enough to place an objective. So, Because also the ritual has weird rules where the objective has to be placed exactly nine inches away from an existing objective. And in No Man's Land, it's it's an odd mission. Um, not as odd as Servo Skulls. We did have a game with Servo Skulls later on in the event. Um this was generally considered a mistake, and no one would like them to repeat it, but uh, here we are. <laughs> but yeah, turn two, I scored Bring It Down and Storm Hostile Objective. So I did manage to actually score a few points, and then I got my face pushed in, and I was done. Uh, so um, Let's see. So that was finishing up day one. Day one, I'm two and one. I'm like, that's not bad. And I'm keeping tabs with, uh, there were two other Tau players there, and I was keeping tabs with one of them who was also from the the area. And uh, he and I were kind of tracking, like, okay, we're both in the running for best Tau. So who, like, 
who's got the better record at this point. And I think at this point I was in the lead. I think I was two and one and they were one and two there. The other two players were one and two. Um, so then day two comes along and, uh, I played, uh, round four, Brian Lemus, uh, was playing blood angels. He played, he was kind of playing a very cagey blood angels. Uh, he kept, there was this one ruin and we, uh, also show me showdown was using player placed terrain, which meant, you know, no two games had the same table layout ever. Um, uh, he had a ruin where he had like most of his stuff hidden out of line of sight and just kind of capped away. And I have no indirect fire, so I have nothing I can do about it. And it's also like it's full of like a couple of squads of blade guard vets and and things like that. And like I do not want to get into that structure because I will die if I get any, get close enough for him to charge out at me. That one, uh, the mission was uh, scorched earth, so we could burn objectives up. And I got cleared. I, I was unable to score an objective score any points turn five i don't think i was tabled on five i think i did still have some stuff around but i was unable to score the primary he had like i had good shooting he had very good assault it was very back and forth the pace of it like actually no he didn't score anything on turn five i scored something on turn five but he beat me on the secondary game uh like turn the last turn i couldn't get any secondaries uh, and so the final score on that one was 59 to 62. It was a very good close game. Uh, then going into turn five, uh, played it against Howard Watts, who was playing Ultramarines, very Ultramarine. Uh, he gave everybody he played an Ultramarine die, which was awesome. Uh, he nice. played in a toga because Ultramarines are very Roman themed. He was very friendly. Um, we got, it was a very back and forth game until about round, about turn four. And that's when the momentum started switching. Like I started losing momentum and he gained momentum. He was doing very well at keeping units hidden, but you know, I was, I was able to do decently on, on secondaries. He ended up pulling ahead though on the primary the the final the mission was vital ground so it's like your own objective is worth two points the ones in the middle are all worth five points each your opponent's objective is worth eight and on the last turn he managed to score 18 points on on the primary because he managed to like push all the way into my objective so i just I he he kept enough units out of sight for me to to not be able to clear them all out until he was able to thin me out and then push forward and take objectives. Uh, final score was seventy nine to forty eight. But like I said, that biggest swing happened in turn five. Up until that point, we were pretty. It was pretty neck and neck. Oh, also, I would like to add Howard got uh, so Brian ended up winning best Blood Angels, and Howard ended up winning best. Uh, best space marine so i play so far i've played the person who wins the tournament and two people who won best of factions so i don't feel bad about those losses at all oh sounds like you're making excuses <laughs> hey i'm oh, playing was, towel i'll take won, whatever I he won the he won the whole event oh he must be good <laughs> well yeah yeah that is how that works actually oh, okay, i don't okay, know if you've oh, been to okay. it have you been to a tournament i, I, I don't know if you have <laughs> you know what I am very new to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so round six, la- for the last round on Saturday, I'm playing Zachary Bartlett, who is playing Adeptus Custodes, and he's playing Dreadnought-heavy Adeptus Custodes. He had two of their Forge World Contemptors, and he had a Telamon as well. He had a big squad. He had like a, a six-man squad of Virtus Praetors with a shield captain on a bike. He had a blade champion and a squad of... 10 uh, custodian guardians. He had a unit of Alaris terminators. Uh, Rob, the sad thing is the, in my mind, the strongest one you've mentioned so far is the blade champion with the 10 custodian guardians. You would think, okay. You would think that you would think that. Um, and then he had a unit of um, the, uh, one of the three sisters of silence units, the units with the, I can't. I think it was the ones with the guns, bolters. flamers, or swords. Guns. guns. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was the gun. Just like a like That's a the five one most people take five body squad of bolters. Yep. Just just to hold an objective or something. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what he used them for. And uh, that mission was deploy servo skulls. And uh, I could not kill those dreadnoughts to save my life. Like, I did not kill those dreadnoughts all... I think I killed the Telamon, but I did not kill the two Contemptors. And I I just, you know, I... I, And there were a couple of things where it's like, I didn't use my Breachers terribly well in that game. Like, there was one squad I ended up getting kind of stranded out because the objectives would keep moving away from me and onto things where where there are, you know, Dreadnoughts that don't care about me wounding, you know, my uh, re-rolling wounds against objectives. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, I did end up, like, I killed the Alaris Terminators in Overwatch with my Crisis Suits, which felt pretty good, actually. Um, I ended up destroying the unit of Virtus Praetors and all the, and the Shield Captain therein. Uh, Shadow Sun actually came out of hiding to hit him with a Fusion Blaster and made his day terrible. Uh, in the end, though, with Servo Skulls, he was able to just keep them closer to my my deployment zone than his and this we were also doing uh i think it's search and destroys the deployment map it's table quarters and Hmm. it's really easy to get objectives near somebody's deployment zone with table quarters so um i was just not able to to keep them away from my deployment zone and so final score there was 45 to 56 Again, pretty close, but he just edged me out a bit on on the primary. I would also like to point out, in round six of the tournament, there was a game that went 100 to 100. Yeah. There was a tie on Servo Skulls between Eldari and Gene Steeler Cults in one game. Yeah, I gotta think that that mission's not super great for tournaments <laughs> well and it's not just that mission kevin and like in one of my little test games i'll say here i've been able to get more than 50 points mm-hmm. on primary and more than 40 points on secondaries so there, there's no cap on there other than so it's easier to hit though i guess those there's no hard cap so it's easier to hit those soft caps of 50 and 40 yeah although for the most part I'd say the average player isn't going to get up there because there'll be too many things kind of that go against you. And so I think sure. more like 50, 60, 70 seems to be the, the average scores. 
Well, and and you're talking like those two armies in particular, Eldari and Gene Stealer cults. Eldari can kill anything they see, and Gene Stealer cults refuse to die. Right. So, like, you can be cleaning up on secondaries, and just like, and Gene Stealer cults don't, strangely enough, don't have nearly the damage output that you would think with that many bodies on the table. But they're damn good at scoring things, which is mm-hmm. why why they're winning a lot. I mean, they have a few tricks, like they have explosives for doing like mortal wounds and things like that. But for the most part, they're just flooding the field. And somebody I know was playing Gene Steeler Cults there, and he was like, yeah, it's weird when you end a game and you still have like 70, 80 models on the table. Just because they they just keep coming back. Yeah, that and and also it kind of shows that killing is important, but scoring your primaries and mm-hmm. secondaries is more important. Yeah, killing is primarily a way to stop your opponent from scoring. Like that's Correct. really yeah. you know, other than a few secondaries, and there's like one mission where you definitely want to kill more model, you know, more units than your opponent. But for the most part, yeah, you're right. Scoring is important. Killing is secondary. And in that game, it just showed that, like, if you and, you know, Eldari are also really good at scoring objectives because yes. they're fat. They're yeah. very fast and they're surprisingly resilient for, you know, being what would normally be a glass cannon army. They're really not because they tend to kill the things very quickly that can break them. So, uh, yeah, it's like it points out that there's definite issues with that especially with that mission in and that deployment in particular when you <laughs> and, and like I yeah Kevin you pointed me towards the conversation on I think what the ITC group or the competitive 40k group one of the I think two. it was yeah I think it was the competitive 40k group and then somebody yeah. in the comments was like yeah I did that yesterday like you had a completely different event I did a hundred 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 tie on that exact mission so it's like there's problems there that need to be addressed besides just the logistical issues of supply servo skulls being a difficult mission to play around because you're having to pick up and move objectives, which sometimes means picking yeah. up and moving models. And it's one of those missions like, yeah, if you played by the book where you're not allowed to stand on the objective, that might be easier. But because in tournament play, they explicitly <laughs> allow you to stand on the objective. And because a lot of people use the neoprene, neoprene objective markers, <laughs> Um, yeah. it like, like my opponent wanted, like Zachary wanted to use, yeah, he, he had a set of, uh, neoprenes that he wanted to use. I said, no, we should use the tokens they gave us because we're going to be moving stuff around and you don't want to do that with neoprene. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm kind of with you there, Rob. I have yet to use the neoprene markers in this edition. I've always used the Leviathan ones that came in the box or the pre-order because mm-hmm. you're right. It's just nicer to have that little thing in case you need to move it or in case uh, it's just I don't know I like it I, I've done both I've done both and I think for 75% of missions the neoprene are fine but there's a okay. couple like the ritual yeah. and servo skulls where it's a problem at servo skulls and servo skulls it's definitely a problem and then for ritual you're having to put down new objectives which gets messy with terrain and then uh, Scorched Earth, you're pulling objectives, or you have the option to pull objectives and score points for that at the end of the game. So there's a couple missions, yeah, where it's like neoprene's nice, but it's a bit of a pain in the ass. So, uh, so not always ideal. So I'm I'm kind of like I can use either, and for most missions, neoprene are fine. But I I like having small objective markers available just in case. 
Mm-hmm. So day two has ended. I am two and four, and I'm not feeling so hot about my record. Um, but my, I talked to the other Tau player I've been talking with. He is also two and four. He won a game that day and lost two others. <laughs> so we are, have the same record. And we're like, okay, this is actually kind of neck and neck. Um, let's uh, see how how day three goes. Uh, we and like we think we are in. You know, we are definitely still in the running for top tau. Uh, the other player who we hadn't been conferring with uh, d- was like two and was was also two and four. So it's like, well, we know he's in the running, but we are local. We want us to win. So I mean, not to be anything against him, but it's like we're kind of like figuring out now. We want it to be one of us. Uh, so day three, Sunday comes around, and I'm like, okay, so I'm two and two and four. My my goal, my minimum goal for the tournament is to go three and five because that'll hit the towel win rate curve of roughly thirty five to thirty seven percent. If I can pull that on, I'm at least average for my faction, which make would make me feel good. Four and four would be great. I would love to go in four and four, but it doesn't. But well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then, so, round seven, I get paired up against Imperial Knights. And I'm like, oh, well, there goes that dream. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to be quick and painless, because Imperial Knights are really good right now, because towering is very strong, and because uh, they can re-roll hit rolls and wound rolls of one. Now, at Tacoma, which was happening the same weekend, they ruled it as you could re-roll one hit roll of one and one wound roll of one a turn instead of all your ones. But I think at Show Me, they had ruled it the other way because the Tacoma one isn't a official game-wide ruling. It was a tournament ruling, so... Right, Mm -hmm. so... Rob, have they put that into the design notes? Because when I read that for Imperial Knights, because yeah, we, I just played a game with them. Um, I, I it could be read either way, just because of how they worded it on the card or on the right. Because I'm right now interpreting it; it's all ones. So yeah, Lalo the Tyrant says each time this model is selected, shooter fight hit reroll a hit roll of one and a hit wound roll of one. Now, a could imply. One, yes. but but it can also be read to like, hey, if a hit roll comes up one, because if you aren't speed rolling, you technically right. roll everything separately. Separately. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the argument can definitely be made that this is badly worded and needs to be eroded one way or the yeah. other, to be clear. You know, and I'm not saying the the reroll one should be one way or like it should be one way or the other for balance. I would say it should probably be a single one per set of attacks. Yeah. Um, I'd agree with that one, but it can definitely be ruled either way. And, and that is a very strong, um, like that's a very strong ability because knights are already hitting on threes. So if you're only wounding on, if you're only hitting, you know, missing on twos and, a lot of their guns are very strong and tend to wound things on, you know, threes. Threes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So. Hey there, quick note from the editor. Fortunately, Games Workshop did fix this in their most recent round of errata and have clarified that it is a single hit roll and a single wound roll of one for the Imperial Knights to be re-rolled. So Lalo the Tyrant has been fixed. And now back to your regular programming. 
but he let's see he was running he had a castellan he uh oh, castellan <laughs> a paladin or no he had a castellan an errant a crusader with the rapid fire battle cannon and the the avenger bolt cannon he had two war glaives a helverin and then he had an ever sore assassin to hold down the backfield <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and uh Let's see. The mission was Sites of Power, so you wanted to have characters on objectives. All his big knights are characters, by the way. Yes. Yep. So he can score points just by having, you know, big knights on objectives. But fortunately, his armatures are not. And he's able to kind of push forward, but I'm also able to use my ghost skills to get onto objectives early, starts, get, you know, building up some scoring. Um, he the, the ghost heals annoyed him to no end because he's minus one to hit them. So uh, dice were actually in my favor in this game. And I managed to basically uh, lure him into a kill zone in the middle. And also, ta- this is where towering played against him because I could easily see his um, his knights across the field. I could keep my... Uh, broadsides just you know having line of sight enough because towering means you ignore like normally line of sight doesn't you know you know like you cross the footprint of a ruin and line of sight is broken towering isn't so i was able to present enough threats close up with the ghost keels that he was focusing on those and not paying much attention to the broadsides in the back and the broadsides in the back were just peeling wounds off of his knights every turn and I had seeker missiles on all my vehicles, so they were putting out shots. And I had characters. I had I had like six characters because I have an ethereal shadow sun. Yeah, ethereal shadow sun, firesight marksman, a cold star commander, and two fire uh, cadre fire blades in my army. So I had plenty of plenty of characters to get onto objectives and empower them. And it was a hard-fought battle. In the end, I had him down to just the Castellan left. And I managed to pull out the win 74 to 61. I Woo-hoo. cleared him. I pushed him off of objectives on uh, round five. And uh, so I managed to win against Knights, which I'm very happy about. So at this point, I'm three and four. I have I have hit my curve. So uh, whatever happens in the last game, I, I'm feeling accomplished. I find out from Riley, the other Tau player I've been talking to, uh, the third Tau player had lost his game and was now at two and five. And so like, okay, so now it's just down between the two of us. Game eight and the bottom tables is not supposed to matter, mm-hmm. but now it does. <laughs> and so it's going to come down to who wins this game. Also, uh, top in faction took into account uh, painting and sportsmanship as well. And at the beginning, like when when I show up at the venue on Sunday morning, there's a piece of paper taped to all the doors saying, hey, these are the people who need to set their armies back up. Like, here are our painting finalists. You need to set your army back up for paint final paint judging. And I made the finalist cut, which helped pull me ahead paint wise. Uh, so uh, Riley did not make the cut, although he had a, fu- he had a fun display board with some good resin water effects. And he was doing basically a day at the beach. Everybody, every single model he has is modeled with a Coke bottle. 
Nice. Like all his all his suits and all his units like have at least one Coke bottle somewhere in the unit. It's 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 fun. It's silly. He's got kind of a tropical theme going on. And then, but he also had been painting. He had gotten his hand on some tetras and had been painting them up like the night before the tournament and didn't have them quite up to the the standard he was hoping to have them up to. So he didn't. Even though he had a better display board than I did, he didn't make the cut on painting. So, uh, but you know, it, that's only part of the score. It's still going to come down to the battle. Final game. I'm up against Josh Sir- Shirley, who is playing. Uh, space Marines, and he is specifically playing non-Desolation Space Marines. Uh, he did not. He does not want to use Desolation Squads, which is also why he's in the bottom tables, because Desolation Squads are <laughs> really, really Broken. good, even with the point <laughs> increase they got. So, uh, uh, but he still had at least, I think he had two Whirlwinds, two uh, Gladiator Reapers, two Gladiator Lancers, a unit of stir- ten stern guard le- led by Cato Sicarius. Um, he had, I want to say, a unit of uh, like voidsmen as just like a pop pop up in your backfield after like turn three. Uh, you know, go to get objectives. He had a unit of scouts led by Sergeant Tellian. And he had a unit of infiltrators, I th- and I think that was pretty much it. And uh, that mission we were playing, purge the foe. That's the one where killing more, kill one, kill more, hold one, hold more, or what get you get you points. And he was able to keep up, hold more, and kill more most of the game. Uh, so he maxed out primary. I didn't. I beat him on secondaries. Uh, but the final score ended up being 80 to 68. And best moment of that was I, he, so his unit of Stern guard had an apothecary to bring back a model every turn. And like I said, had Cato Sicarius and between the breachers and pathfinders, I managed to get it down to just the two characters. Like all the Stern guard were dead. And the Pathfinders decided to come out and assault the now alone by himself, separated from everyone else, apothecary in the middle of the field, uh, surrounded him with 10 Pathfinders and proceeded to beat him to death, which was something you don't normally do with Pathfinders, but it was, it also got me assassination points, so I was happy with that. Nice. Uh, So I ended up losing the game, but 68 to 80 is a pretty decently close loss. I don't feel bad about it. And uh, so in the end, I went three and five. But thanks to my paint score, I think we were about neck and neck with uh, sportsmanship. And actually, we asked Nathan to see like the the spreadsheet afterwards. And I was slightly higher than him on like my battle score. And I think it's because I did play against three people who who either won the event or placed highly with you know you know best of faction awards so like my i think his battle score ended up being 200 and mine was 203 or something like that it was <laughs> really close and i think they said after that if if all three records were tied like all three scores were tied then it would come down to battle points that you scored in game and he was actually scoring more more points per game even when he was losing than i did mm-hmm. uh so like if it'd been that tight i you know, then it, he would have pulled ahead, but my paint score just really pulled me, like gave me about a, like a ten percent increase over his score, and so you know, 
I I can't help but think if I was running this event and I heard like how seriously you were taking all this and like how in depth it was, I think I'd probably dock your sportsman a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I just am thrilled that we're we're kind of getting back into playing games in this type of scenarios. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although I am going to say, after playing. Eight games at tournament level. I'm taking a little bit of a break from tournaments until probably September when the next balance data slates and adjustments come out. Because makes sense. I mean, I will still play. I will play casually. I will have fun. I will even run tournaments. Uh, I'm looking at possibly starting to uh, run tournaments at Pulp Fiction Comics and Games, which is reopened here in Lee Summit. Uh, in fact, I helped them purchase three tables worth of terrain from one of the vendors at uh, Show Me Showdown. Snarky Sayings, who's run by Ben Spears, who also runs the Midmo Maelstrom out in Columbia, uh, was selling, like, had several tables, like, several of the tables were using his terrain, and so uh, we went ahead and, uh, like, I basically said, hey, there's they're selling tables worth of terrain here for about, like, 80 to $100. Would you like me to get you any for the store? And he's like, yeah, just buy me three tables worth and I'll uh, pay you back. And so, yeah, we bought, we got the store set up with at least three sets of, three tables worth of terrain. Nice. So we uh, just need to get it assembled and painted, but it's all, like, laser cut wood, so it'll go together pretty quickly. Um so they're they're getting set up. So yeah, I'll I'll run tournaments. I will still be adjacent to the tournament scene, but um, at least I'm not going to play Tau in tournaments <laughs> for a little bit. And uh, you know, the most recent Meta Watch they talked about Tacoma, where you had Custodes and versus Custodes for the final, which was mm-hmm. I think different than most people were expecting. I mean, Custodes are strong, yeah. you know, no question there. But I. I would say the the results of Show Me Showdown would be more what people were expecting to see with Eldari, 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 and, and, you know, and on the podium. But right. uh, or but they what, did. Well, I guess one of the other tournaments had Gene Steeler Cult versus Gene Steeler Cult of the final. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, and also you know, shout out to the guys at Goonhammer for tracking all those events and providing commentary on like what's doing what, and also for providing the Tabletop Battles app, which yes. I've been using to track my games, which is why I have my full record of like round by round how I did in all of them. Like that's been really super helpful. But yeah, it's. Balance is in a weird place right now, and I don't want to necessarily meta chase, so I'm not going to, but I have been also getting casual games in, but uh, you guys have also been playing, so you know enough about me for a bit. How have you guys been doing? So I've been playing uh, in our Escalation League here locally. Um, played at, Last week was busy for me with between work and some other stuff I was doing, so I ended up playing both of my games on Saturday, so yesterday. So like I said, I, I literally played two like thousand point games and like went home and took a nap because I'm like this that's a lot. <laughs> so doing doing eight in a weekend is uh, oof, not not exciting. But yeah, they uh, played two two thousand point games in our Escalation League. I played against uh, Tyranids in the first game and against Emperor's Children in the second game. Uh, I did end up losing both of those, but they were both very fun games. Still kind of trying. Like trying to figure out what units are best in the World Eaters Army. Eightbound are not as good as they were last edition, or at least not as good against everything as they were last edition. I ended up taking 
a unit of uh, of eight bound into a unit of hive guard, and the hive guard like proceeded to punch them to death pretty quickly uh, because anything with high toughness eight bound just don't have the strength. They have a lot of attacks, but they just don't have the strength to like wound them consistently. In the second game against uh, Empress Children, my eight bound went up against like a block of possessed. And that's a pretty even matchup, except for the fact that uh, eight bound come in three or six and possessed come in five or 10. So it's a fair matchup, except they have numbers. So I ended up mm-hmm. losing both those fights. So it's like, I, I have to rethink how I'm going to use them going forward. I need to try the Exalted 8-Bound because I think their Chain Fists and, like, extra strength is going to be better in most cases. Um, plus, they have some other abilities. They can, you know, they have a better invuln save. They can scout, I believe. So, like, they have a couple other things that they can do that regular 8-Bound can't. But the problem there is they're expensive and they only come in units of three. Mm. So, right. trying to trying to figure out exactly what's good there. Uh, Berserkers carried their own weight. They did really great. The Jackals did exactly what I expected them to do until the moment somebody looked at them, and then they got <laughs> shot off the table. <laughs> so so in the first game, I, I was doing the sticky objective thing. So I started on one objective, made it sticky, and was running across the table to the other objective. Didn't quite get there because I rolled poorly on my advance. Oh, So they were kind of out a little bit in the open. Um, the Tyranid Barbgaunts unit... Four Barbgaunts shot at them and roll, you know, it's, it's uh, D6 attacks on their weapons. He rolled 36 attacks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so that unit went away. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like I actually strong. I actually saved a bunch of those attacks and he was still enough and still wounded enough to like kill the unit twice. <laughs> so like. <laughs> right. And, and the fun thing about Barbgaunts. If they don't kill the unit, then that unit is slow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, that never came up, thankfully, because everything the barb got shot at died. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, he was always like, oh, this doesn't kill him. This is going to slow him down. I'm like, it's going to kill him. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but like, but he, it was amazing because every time they shot, they rolled near max number of shots. Like, exceptionally well on the shooting. Um and then I uh, I deep struck in my Terminators to get the heavy flamer close to them to like all right I'm gonna root them out and roll my my D six attacks one. one all right I'm gonna yeah. command reroll this one, one. yeah <laughs> and then I didn't even kill one of them like I I think I did a wound and they're like eh, whatever <laughs> but no both both games were very fun both games were very close I think in the game against the Emperor's Children. I probably should have been more aggressive. I was kind of playing more to the objectives because we were playing Scorched Earth. Um, and I got, I picked, or I, I drew out my tactical objectives and they were all like hold objectives for the first round. So I moved forward onto objectives and then kind of sat there and let him chart and you know, let him kind of charge me. And Slanesh stuff moves so fast, especially on a small table because we're playing half tables at a thousand points. So uh, then, yeah, yeah, his Slanesh stuff was able to get to me and like you know and get into assault, and we basically wound up from like turn bottom of one through the rest of the game just in assault the entire time. So the game took a little while, even though we only got to like round four, I think. But yeah, like it was a fun game. It wound up, I think he had a Demon Prince. 
an exalted champion and one possessed left. And then I, by the time he tabled me um, in that game and then against the Tyranids, I had I think I had a couple of berserkers left and he had um, in that game. He had a lot more stuff left because I finally was able to take out his uh, his hive tyrant and his tyrant guard and a unit of warriors. But I think he had two or three units of Ravners that were still like running around the table, scoring objectives that I just couldn't get to. So I ended up losing that one on points uh, because he was just able to take more objectives and then and had you know, more units. And then I ended up losing the second game because I, I got tabled uh, like bottom of three, but they were both fun games. Great opponents. Like I, said, I, I need to figure out exactly what units work well for me in world leaders because vehicles are vehicles are a problem. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of things with enough toughness to take out vehicles in melee. So I, I've got to figure that out. And I think the answer might be, especially as we get higher point totals, Mauler Fiend, Dreadnoughts, and uh, Lord of Skulls, like just bringing my own vehicles. So I'll see. I'm going to, I think this next week, because I've got one game this next week and then I'm, will miss the next week because of Gen Con. But uh, I'm going to try to build a more vehicle heavy list, probably a couple of Dreadnoughts for this next week and uh, see where that takes me. Yeah, looking at the World Eaters Hellbrute, the Laz Cannon and the Hammer are decent choices. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking, because it has the ability, and I think the Chaos Hellbrute does as well, where when it gets shot, it can shoot back. And that's kind of interesting, because that allows you, like, when people try to shoot, then you get some extra shots in. And um, there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of good shooting in the World Leaders Army, so yeah. extra shots is nice. Yeah, I think shooting or gonna... fighting. So, like, if you yeah. get stuck in combat, they can fight back, too. Exactly. So, um, I think I'm going to take... I, I, I've been bringing rhinos. I think I'm going to take some land raiders now that I have more points nice. as well, just to see how those work. Because following a bunch of, like, World Leaders Facebook groups, aside from everybody complaining that all of the Forge World stuff is gone, <laughs> still... <laughs> Uh, one thing that people have been saying is that land raiders are really good uh, for world leaders because the ability to assault and the ability to have, you know, four last cannon shots. Mm. So um, I'm going to see how that goes. I'm going to see what I can, what I can come up with for a 1500 point list. And then, um, you know, we get in the last couple weeks, we get, we go all the way up to 2000. So uh, it'll give me an opportunity to kind of experiment around and play with some stuff. And at, as we get closer, now that we're at 1500, 2000 points, I'm not going to feel as bad I decide to bring Angron to an Escalation League game. <laughs> yeah. So, because I was not bringing Angron at, at at 500 points or 1,000 points. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be that guy. Right. Um, but we get to 1,500, I might bring him and see what happens, see what he can do. So, those are my games. Okay, I guess if I go in, I'll probably jump around. Um, so, first off, trying to get some new people into the, the hobby. And so we're playing every once in a while. So we got in some game or a game yesterday and there's, there's four of us, two that have played a bit and two that are brand new that are borrowing armies. One of them's actually now bought an Eldar combat patrol and yesterday he bought some, um, shining spears. So he, he's slowly but surely building up an army. He also complained to me about how annoying it was to put the jet bikes together. <laughs> but, um, He's been right now, been borrowing my Eldar. So I thought, well, let, let's like 
give him some fun. So I, I let him, it, the list I built for him had the Farseer and the Wraith Knight with D cannons. And he was already using Wraith Guards because he really like he likes the fluff of Undead Eldar. So he really likes the Wraith Guard and Wraith Blades. And then I thought, well, I don't know if any of the other two, because we've been playing it like 2,000 on a side, so teams of two on each side. And I thought, well, I don't know either of the other two will be bringing anything to counter this. So I, I, I knew it was going to be Tyranids and Grey Knights. So I was like, okay, well, what can counter this? Tyranids might, but he doesn't know Wraith Knight's coming. So I brought two Knights lists. And I said, well, if I get paired up with Tyranids, I'll use the Chaos Knights. If I get paired up with Grey Knights, like last time, I'll use the Imperial Knights. And when I get there, the, the Grey Knights and Tyranids play. I said, no, we wanted to team up against you two this time. I'm like, oh, 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 okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the Tyranid one was a six model list. And then he was like, Oh, yeah, you, I thought I had the least number of units, but no, you have four knights. Cause I, in a thousand points, I had one, um, big knight and three armagers. Mm-hmm. And also, cause I thought this would be key, key toward fighting Tyranids, I, I had the warden with the big, um, 18 shot Gatling cannon. Which, it didn't do much this game. Um, cause between trying to shoot out big Tyranids, um, it, 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 yeah, they had too much toughness. So I was wounding on fives and it, it was not helpful. Uh, and then even against the Grey Knights, it wasn't that helpful because, well, sure, his strike squads only had two wounds each, but he had a bunch of Terminators who all had three wounds. Meaning I needed two shots to kill them instead of one, which made the gun not as effective against (laughs) them. So it was not that useful. Um, And yeah, how the game kind of went as expected, sort of. Uh, The knights actually, I had to say, didn't do much. A lot of shooting. We did kill a couple of, of the big Tyranids, the Eldar, and especially the Mortal Wounds did a bulk of that. And... The, the Eldar players' dice were just on fire for the first round, where like on the he used a fate die to do trigger the mortal wounds, but then he rolled two more sixes on his own. So it was like sixty six mortal wounds at something, and it was like, Ooh. yeah, we'll just pick that up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, the fun thing is the Tyranids were able to like assault some knights and. Uh, th- uh, these were the two gun, um, not the warglaves, the helverins. Uh, they, they can't do anything in melee. I'll kick you. And I think against the Grey Knight Strike Squad, I kicked them in the shins for a wound. <laughs> um, yet two other big takeaways from this. I hate shadows in the warp. Uh, Tyranid player used it again and half my army was, was, um, broken. And there's nothing I could do. And also, I had a one of the armagers in the middle of the board to do um, deploy teleport homers, or was Aaron? No, I think it was teleport homers. Now I couldn't because it is now battle shocked. So, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I mean, battle shock. I mean, we say it's not. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like it does anything. But when it does, it it disrupts. What you want to do, especially you can't spend stratagems on people with no rerolls. And yeah, that's the other thing I still get annoyed is the Tyranid, um, Hive Tyrant saying, yeah, that stratagem you just used, it costs one more now. Cause 
that he he did that on our Overwatch. So it's like, oh, ow, okay. Oof. <laughs> yeah. And Overwatch is, is very, very useful. And the other thing I took away is Grey Knights just seem like so much fun to play. Because the, the guy was using the sticky from the strike squads. And then the Grey Knight's ability to like pull them off the board and put them back on next turn. So he just had so much maneuverability. And unfortunately, this is going to sound weird, that we were Eldar and Knights. And we didn't have enough maneuverability to take the sticky things from them. And in fact, I had like moved a knight cause I, I took, gave the knight the heroic thing where he is also sticky. Uh, so I, I took one of the parts in the middle, then I moved him to go fight, um, Drago. And yeah, he just teleported a squad in behind me and took that point back. I'm like, Oh, and <laughs> Drago is, is also a beast. He single handedly tore through one armager and the knight warden. Uh, <laughs> He lost all his bodyguards, but that, that they were just extra wounds for him. Jeez. But, you know, in the end, though, we did table them at the, I think, top of five. Um, although I had no knights left. It was just the Farseer's squad, the Wraith Knight, a squad of Wraith Guard, and the Spirit Seer with the Wraith Guard. Because a Spirit Seer with a Wraith Guard means that unit doesn't go away. But in the end, um, Eldar and Knights only took it by four points. That's how close the game was. Oof. So, and that's the thing I've noticed is there seem to just be a lot of close game. I mean, yeah, sometimes you'll have big blows, but I mean, and the close games are the fun ones. This, this was a very fun game against them. So yeah, we'll see what we go. I think the Grey Knights player who's barring the Grey Knights is he wants to get into Necron. And then the Eldar, the guy who's playing my Eldar, he wants to get into Eldar, which is why I'm letting him try things out. And so I'm curious as to seeing what he actually brings to the table when he builds his own list. Because I think it's going to be <laughs> Jet Bikes, Wraith, and Wraith Lord. So we'll <laughs> see how that goes. It's it's not as nasty as the, the lists we're seeing in the current meta. Uh, speaking on meta, I too went to a tournament. And I took the meta-defining leagues of Votan. <laughs> is that is meta-defining? That's that is not how I would define Votan right now. What they're 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 at the bottom of the list. So if you flip the list over, they are the number one bad army. <laughs> Wait, I mean, worse than worse is, than Death Guard right now? Because that's uh, that's pretty impressive. The, the current um, meta Monday. So this is actually six days old. Um, has them at a 26% win rate while Death Guard is a 32. Oof. Oof. I mean, you can define the meta in multiple ways. Yeah. So being a punching bag helps define the meta. Yeah. No, Vo- <laughs> Votan, I think the problem with them is they're not a power army. So a lot of the, the stronger players are not playing them. Um, cause in fact, they were one of the lower numbered players playing them. Uh, the other thing about them is, how they need to play is totally different now. They need to mm-hmm. readjust their entire play style, which is kind of weird. And we'll see how this, this plans out or pans out. But, um, so yeah, and there, my first match was against a guy who, who came back for, I'll say from retirement, uh, hadn't played in a few editions, but ha- liked Tyranids a lot 
a few editions ago. So he said, yeah, I bought Leviathan and I built all these. And he had some, I don't want to say Daglo, but they were bright yellowish Tyranids. Um, and yeah, he had like three squad. He had over a hundred Tyranids on the board. Um, so needless to say, my Votan who really lacked blast, um, struggled to take out his, his army. And the other thing about them is, um, yeah, the, the gaunts that just have the endless resupply that just keep on coming back. So, um, I killed all those big things. The exocrine, the hive tyrant, yeah, anything big I could take care of, but just the blobs, I didn't have an answer for. We only made it through three rounds because so many models. Um, but yeah, it was, it was enjoyable and got me to think of the third thing I hate against Tyranids is that endless resupply. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think Tyranids are strong, even though I think the meta would disagree. <laughs> Uh, Tyranid have been doing okay at a couple of events. Um, there yeah. were, I want to say Tyranids was fourth, may have been fourth at Show Me Showdown. Um, there's a couple of GTs that they won recently. Yeah, yeah. Tyranids were fourth at Show Me Showdown. So they're strong um, but not broken is what you were, I'm hearing. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> yeah. they're good. They're not like Eldari or Gene Steeler cults where you right. just consistently see them in the top, you know, top prize. Yeah, they they have. They have a lot of the the good like movement scoring abilities mm-hmm. that that help them. They don't they don't kill stuff quite as much as some armies do, but they've got some units that are pretty tanky and and then they have, you know, good scoring tricks. Or uh, like hormigants that have the assault and charge to tie up anything in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but that gets me to the the thing of the I still see the two extremes of you need blast and actually blast is super useful because even squads of five trigger blast mm-hmm. and you need yep. things that are strength 10 or higher, preferably higher. And I don't know, I'm still torn what to do on the Sagittars because I could take the missile launchers, which have both. They've got one shot, or two, I guess two shots of the strength 12, and then they've got a separate missile launcher bay that I can fire both each turn that I can do blast with. Because other than that, the only blast I have is on the um, Thunderkin. Well, I guess there might be a, a Hearthkin Warrior one, but I don't take those well and the no i've got a lot of blast now i'm going through the list the the <laughs> hearthguard have blast on their shoulder grenades which oh my gosh that wrecks things if people fail saves because that ap0 doesn't help me kill things but just wait a fire because rob one time i had a shot with that where i had five guys and i think the lowest dice i rolled was a five it was like 30 something or maybe it was, yeah i think upper 20s number of shots and it was just like yeah I killed six things, but (laughs) (laughs) no. So that's how I did on that. Then the second round I was against dark angels. And this is the guy I think I've pretty much made friends with. He's got a beautifully painted army. I mean, I will probably, if he brings it again, need to take pictures because it is so nice. Um, 
the only thing he we both joked about is yeah his guys are tiny because they're all firstborn because this it's an older army so he didn't have any new models in it it was just all 100 percent old school models he even had like land speeder um i don't remember which tank it was but it's a god hammer last cannon tank uh, that would the God Hammer would be the old la- the Land Raiders like the, the God okay, Hammer. Okay, then it wasn't a, it wasn't a Land Raider. Okay, it, but it was like a tank that had a last cannon up top and that Sponsons on the sides were last cannons. But it wasn't oh, a Predator. Land it's a tank. Was it a Predator? It's a predator. Okay, it's a Predator. So God Hammer Predator. Then I don't know. It was last cannon e thing that was just so blowing la- up Sponson, last cannon Sponsons and and twin Laz on top. Yes. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And this is where the the hot and cold of the land fortress came into play, because he kept that hidden from me as he took out the sand or the Sagittars, or took out at least one. Um, so the land fortress was rolling up; everything was either out of sight or out of range. So the only thing I could shoot at was a rhino, and I actually got the rail cannon to hit and wound, and yeah, that rhino just went away. Um, it made me think of the old fire prisms, Rob, that were always hit and miss. If it hit, oh my gosh, it felt good because something's destroyed. And then it missed so often. So Right. <laughs> but I still, I like the Land Fortress, and I'm, I'm really liking the Thunderkin because, yeah, they popped out. And also, the thing, the more I play them, to Kevin's point here, the more I'm playing the army, the more I'm remembering all the rules and thus doing better. Yeah. Um, Because I, Thunderkin do overwatch on a five up. They also have anti-vehicle too, and they are blast. So they're kind of good at killing whatever. So they're definitely going to be in a, a unit. I, I try to do for overwatches, uh, downside 18 inch range. Uh, so, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. But that anti-vehicle is super nice. And just that the blast, I was like, hurting the dark angels when they were close um other thing sagittars all have scout so i can have them scout and sagittars have a rule that even if it advances i can have get people get out and act normally as if they got out of a moved transport so they can they can't advance or charge or move anymore but they can get out and then shoot Man, and that's those Sagittarius sound awesome. I would. I wonder where you can buy those. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry, Kevin. I I will admit I still look at the stores, and I'm gonna like text you if I ever find one. Um, yeah, but no, uh, the Sagittarius is still probably one of my favorite units in the army as well because of that. Because they moved the Scout Six, move twelve, have people get out. So in theory, I could have people get out on no man's land objectives be very aggressive with them then either mm-hmm. get back in and move off or just play like a defensive like speed bump since all of the um warriors are sticky so and i'm learning that that's a tactic to keep people away from the objectives just get your guys on it make it sticky then move off enough so where they can't deep strike onto it but they'll have to go through you to get there um and then you it means they have to spend a turn getting rid of you so that you can maybe have a turn to react to what's coming. And pioneers, I love their ability that if they're on the table edge, that they can just pop off the edge, then come back on another table edge as from strategic reserves. Um, but mm-hmm. I've never got to do that yet because they always either get assaulted. 
because I probably have them too far forward, but their guns are also short is why they're too far forward. Or um, they just get shot off the table because once again, they're, yeah. So I haven't fully figured out how to use the pioneers yet. Um, but yeah, that game went back and forth. I felt bad because I had a plan of, I'm going to drop stuff in his deployment zone from my deep strike, but I forgot to bring in my deep strikers. So my mistake, but it worked out in my advantage because he deep struck all of his stuff in my back line. So I had my deep strikers come back to my back line to then take out his um, death guard, that death guard, death wing. <laughs> they, they weren't back there. Death guard, death wing, death watch. It's a, yeah, yeah. Death, death. Yes. Um, And yeah, the, the. Death Watch Terminators are tough, but they are killable. And I was able to take them out and reclaim my back line. But I, by doing that, I then lost the middle of the field because his predator had kind of finished taking out the land fortress because it missed the, the predator with my, my one shot there. Uh, and then that kind of just spiraled into he took the middle and yeah. So in the end, the Dark Angels won. Uh, it was a fun game though. And that knocked me to 0-2 there. And... I don't, the person I was supposed to play kind of had left. So I ended up getting, getting to play the ringer, which was the tournament organizer who kind of just said, yeah, I'm going to count you as a win and we'll just play a game for fun. I need some practice to go to tournament. What would you like to play against? He said, I've got an all tank army or I've got desolation Marines. I said, I don't care. You pick. So he picked, well, everyone else said tanks, So I haven't got to try the desolation Marines, So I'll bring that out. So I got to try a game against um, 30 Desolation Marines with Bobby G leading them. Well, there was some other stuff I'm in the army so as well. I'm so sorry. But... <laughs> I'm so very sorry. <laughs> yeah, as he said, because he was just curious, at, after the, he also got to go first. Um, after the end of the top of one, 720 points of Votan were off the board. Oh, 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 I mean, I That's did retaliate, money. and by the end of the game, two of his Desolation Marine squads were gone, and Bobby G was gone. But, um, yeah, point-wise, I wasn't close, because that, that Alpha Strike really hurt. But I did, I'll say, air quote, mount a comeback, because I'll say killing Bobby G and two squads of Desolation Marines and their apothecary that was leading one of them is, is a good job. Um, thing I learned from that game, in retrospect... Um, Void armor is a thing. I should use it because that that's using armor would be most good. Yes, yeah, because that would be minus one to the thing, so I'd have better saves. Because yeah, um, but I didn't think about that till after. But that brings me back to the whole uh, command points are rough to get sometimes. I mean, I envy the armies that have the hey, bring on this commander, have an extra CP on your command phase. Mm -hmm. Um, the only way I can get that is by killing who I marked, which I marked, I think, oh yeah, I marked Bobby G and I was able to kill him. So I got, I think it was two command points from that, but that didn't help early in the game. It helped later, but just uh, some of these armies feel very command point starved. So I, I don't, I haven't figured out how to deal with that other than. Just not worry, but but there's so many stratagems I want to use, so <laughs> that that's a struggle. 
so yeah, that that was my my three little competitive games, um, helping on the 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 track record of Votan not being strong, but in my little, I'll say my the D- Dennis tournament of like his armies, um, I think I looked at it in my little bracket. Votan are in a group with um, Eldar. If I was just building a fun Eldar list. And um, Chaos Space Marines. And how those... I thought looking at those, I'm like, man, as as bad as Eldar are getting trashed, I don't think they're going to even win a game. So, much to my surprise, um, Eldar were able... I mean, uh, the the Votan, I thought, would not win a game. The Votan actually beat the Eldar when they played. And I think this was probably because, one, I'm getting to where I know the tips and tricks of Votan more than Eldar, because I'm playing them more right now. Um, two, I went first. That helped, because one of the fire prisms died top of one to the land fortress and all the Sagittars focusing fire it. Um, and if you only have one fire prism on the table, it's still nice, but two is that sweet spot to actually make them really wreck things. And also, this was, I think, Purge the Foe, so it was hold one, hold more, kill one, kill more. And this Eldar list has bazillions of units because i've got like three jet bikes here three jet bikes here three jet bikes here two jet bikes here two jet bikes so like all just tiny squads of jet bikes um and tiny squads of jet bikes are great for maneuverability but they will die and yeah it was just a field day of easily able to kill more because once you got and this is not i'll say not a strong eldar list because it didn't have a lot of deadly stuff. It just had fun stuff. Like I said, a bunch of jet bikes and fire prisms. So once the fire prism threat was taken care of, um, the Harlequin bikes were probably the next threat. Once they were taken care of, it just started to go the Votan's way because being tough five and six, the Eldar guns would eat. I mean, scatter lasers and shirking cans can wound, but against the yeah, warriors, they, they were killing warriors pretty easily. But against the Hearthguard, they have two-up armor. Give me those AP0 and AP-1 shots. I, I will save them. So, yeah, they the Votan just were too tough, which is kind of weird to say. But I don't think you'll see this in competitive games because most people will pack stronger weaponry than um, Shuriken stuff. <laughs> and then the other one was against Chaos Space Marines, which I, I tried something here to make uh, have enough models for Chaos Space Marines, is I've got um, a knight from the Chaos Knights, and then I've got some Slanesh from the Demon Codex, because I can ally all those in. And I, I do like... And most people say um, Shalaxi Hellsbane is the top one to take, which she probably is. But in, that's, in this Yeah, case, that's what I've heard. Since I already had a knight, I went with the um, Celesk and the... Um, demonettes who those paired together are really nice because at least that gives the demonettes critical wounds on five ups and they have devastating wounds on their weapons so a squad of demonettes can tear through something if they get there because being toughness three and only having a five up invone uh means they fold like paper (laughs) but celeste has the nice ability of Hey, you killed me. Let me roll a two up and I'll stand back up. And so she did that each game she played, which was 
nice in a way, except for like assassination. I still got the assassination points for killing her once. Um, and I hate to say this, but that chaos Knight did nothing, both games against Eldar and Votan. All it did was die. So I guess, I guess it did something of being a fire magnet, but man, a 400 plus point fire magnet is not a feels good. No, it's not great. So, yeah. Yeah, and also the the knight really didn't get to use army abilities, and neither did the demonettes. I mean, I don't know how that would much played in. I will say I do like the dark pact for chaos space marines. It's kind of one of those. I mean, I was always using it because I'm like, oh, I always use hazardous now. If I get the penalty, oh well. Um, but yeah, it, being able to either put, I did so many sustained hits and to try and help with the number of shots and. It makes it it makes a difference. I rolled so many sixes, got more things. It's like, yeah. But yeah, so I've done like three group stages now in that and like the group we just talked about was my jet bike elder, um, Chaos Space Rings and um Votan. Votan actually are coming out of that group. Um Eldar took second and we'll see if they have enough points to advance as one of the I'll say wild card, not group winners. Um, the custodes took their group, which also had the wraith and you say, well, how do they be that? Because they're so tough. And the wraith is, they don't have a farseer in there because it's all wraith related. So it's just wraith knight, wraith guard, wraith lord, wraith seer. The only non wraiths are the spirit seers because they're tied to wraiths, but they scored a lot of points and have a chance to get in. Um, and then the third group that I finished so far was chaos knights. Um, Phoenix Lords and the Space Wolves. And yeah, Space Wolves got trounced and the Cast Knights won. So they're, they're moving on to my eliminations. And then the Phoenix Lords actually are my top point getter that's getting in so far. So I've got two groups left. So I'll have two more point getters, but, and the Phoenix Lords, I mean, they're solid. They're good. I mean, I think they still have the character thing I talked about earlier where the, the, the troop unit that's with them is just, literally bodyguards because the Phoenix Lord is the one that really does most of the work and stays alive. And I don't know, I would like to see the aspect warriors a little, I don't want I, I want to say a little stronger, but it, that's not exactly the right words, but I guess a little more useful, if that makes sense. Cause since we're in such a vehicle meta, it's hard to want to play infantry units and all of these are infantry. So I th- I don't think they'll get much play, but I still really like them. So I'm happy to see that they they play nicely on the table, but they they can get shot off kind of easily. So yeah, those those are my all the the practice games, tournament games, and friendly games I played with down here. And then Richard, you got a pair of games in with me over the last couple of weeks. Yep. Yep. We the the first one uh, was Grey Knights versus Nurgle Demons. Yes, it was. Um, and, and I learned a very important lesson about you know losing during list building. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, as you dis- as as you found out, you couldn't put any strike squads into your Grey Knights army because you hadn't found them yet. Yes, oh, they're they're in a box closet. somewhere, and like I so 
all I could find were my Terminators. So in, instead of the instead of them, I had all Terminators, and it was very hard for Rob to kill them all. But mm-hmm. it like didn't do me any favors for being able to actually score points during the course of the game. Yeah, because I don't know if you know this, but Terminators are expensive points wise, yes. and, and we're and we're playing a thousand points. So yeah, I think yeah, so. You I, had, like th- I had I had three units. A, yes, I had three total units. I had a Grandmaster with a ten man squad of Terminators. Oh, I had man, a a, a the, yes, that was the majority of my army. Um, and then I had a five-man unit of, of Terminators with a um, brother captain, and then I had a Vindicare assassin. And that Vindicare assassin got work done. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I mean, he he spent his whole time pretty much just like chipping away at at like the uh, the the big monsters that. I, my main unit was engaged with. Right. Because they're monsters, so you can shoot at them. You know, if you've got pistols, which he did, and he was within 12 inches of range, so he could shoot yeah. at it. Uh, yeah, so I yeah I had two units of Plague Bearers, one of which was led by a, a, a Poxbringer, uh, I, you know, generic herald. Um, I had a unit of plague drones. I had a demon prince of Nurgle with wings, and I had a great unclean one. And it says something that in a thousand points I could fit in a great unclean one and still have the points for like four or five more units on top of that. Uh, and yeah, I had the scoring advantage, especially because plague bringers are have sticky objectives, so which is huge. And uh, that one, I think, was just we were just playing take and hold, so it was just you know, yeah, hold one, you know, like five points per objective. You're five points per objective. You're holding up to you know up to fifteen points around, and I I maxed primary on that game. Yep. Uh, yeah, and you, yeah, you 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 struggled with scoring. Uh, you just did not have the units to be able to to yeah. Get I didn't have the units. At like the like my random secondaries were also like not very helpful. Yeah, uh, according to the tracking, you scored four object four secondary objectives all game. Yep. Yeah, it so. and two of them only two points each. So like it was you had a hard go on secondary objectives, um, whereas I. Like I scored twenty eight points on secondaries, fifty on primary, so it ended up being an eighty eight to forty nine uh, victory for demons. And yeah, that was entirely due to list building. Like I think we talked it out later, and it's like yeah, if you had split that ten man Terminator squad into t- two five man, so you'd had three five man Terminator squads, you probably would have been doing a lot better because even a five man Terminator squad of Grey Knights is a hard nut to crack. Yeah, as I found. Yeah, because you had you had over the course of the game, you had almost killed enough of that five man unit that it they would have all been gone. But it took so long to do it 
that by the end of the game, they were still a five-man squad. Right, because, well, you also had an apothecary in that squad, so it just... Yes. Yeah, I just couldn't couldn't keep them dead. Uh, so, and I just, I did not have... Because I think they ended up, like, fighting a squad of plague bears that are, like, I deep-struck over, the, like, pretty far, and then there was the... Or no, it was... They had walked that way. The plague drones were the ones I, like, deep-struck in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you ended up, like, weathering the, the fire and attacks from them and eventually, like, where, you know, just, I can't remember if you killed them or not. I think you did. And I know you I, killed the, the, uh, the, 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 yeah, the only thing you had left was that unit of plague bearers, I believe. Yeah, the, the one the in game. the middle that I had pulled yes. up. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like you killed a lot. You had a lot of killing ability, but you just like we said earlier, scoring has to be primary, killing is secondary, and that yep. just yeah, just you just couldn't make up that deficit. Uh and then the second game we played just this week was ended up being kind of the reverse of that because we played Tyranids he, versus yeah. Blood Angels. And you had so many units <laughs> in yeah. a thousand points. Yeah, I, I tried I didn't take like too much like redundancy like i took a unit of this and a unit of that because i just kind of wanted to see you know how they perform on the table mm-hmm. i think the only thing you doubled up on was zoanthropes and i think that was a good yes. call uh, yeah <laughs> yeah the, those i was pretty sure would be a a safe <laughs> uh thing to to double up on so yeah um the uh yeah because i had a redemptor dread with the heavy onslaught gatling cannon i had a repulsor with the last talent and twin last cannons i had a unit of three blade guard with a captain and a blade guard ancient attached i had two units uh, and then i had like a unit of um Regular intercessors with a lieutenant attached and in a unit of assault intercessors with a lieutenant attached. And I will say, I think we've had this conversation on chat that I probably shouldn't have poured so much into characters on every unit. It was probably unnecessary. Unlike for Tau, where it kind of is necessary to maximize some of your units in Space Marines, you don't necessarily, unless you want something very specific. Um, And... I couldn't, like, you got first turn, my Redemptor was dead by the middle of round two, I chart, like, I moved up the Repulsor full of Blade Guard, fought your Hive Tyrant, man, like, I killed the Tyrant Guard around it, and I think, what, the Hive Tyrant was down to, like, one wound when I was done, but you killed uh, everything that like, came for it, it. Yeah, it was like, I think it was two. Uh, it two was wounds. it was down to five wounds from close combat, and then you had, like, some final shooting at it mm-hmm. that brought it down to, like, it, it ended the game with two wounds left. Yeah, yeah, it was it was close, but I just could not seal the deal on it. It did not help that you had an upgrade on it that gave it a five-up uh, feel-no-pain that became a four-up feel-no-pain the minute it lost a wound. Yeah, so it's like you're shrugging off half the wounds that could get through your invuln save and your toughness. So it yes. was God, it was so hard. And that's you know, kind of, Kevin, yeah. I was feeling the same thing where it's like, 
I only had like the repulsor that could consistently put out um, high, t- you know, shots against high toughness targets, and the, uh, yeah. the Hive Tyrant's T10. Um, that's he's he's tough to deal with in melee. Oh yeah, no, like I yeah in my in my game, you know, I was able to with the the uh, eight bound uh, actually. Yeah, the 8-bound with the heavy chain glaive was able to get up to strength 9 on the charge, and I was able to get to strength 10 with the berserker glaive on my chaos lord on the charge. But, like, other than that, like, yeah, I'm hitting on five. I'm wounding on fives, you know? So it's yeah. just, it's really tough mm-hmm. to take those things out in melee. And you're, there's so few melee weapons, even in, like, a dedicated melee army, like, uh, world eaters, most melee weapons do 1-2 damage. So you, you're going to have to hit them a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's hard. So I think it I, I think it definitely like as Richard you mentioned like the you know losing your game at list building. I think that's kind of where my struggles have been so far. Is like I need to figure out a way to adapt to this edition because there's going to be hard, higher strength, higher toughness stuff that I have to I have to consider. I have to come up with an option, you know, yeah. to to fight. So looks like that Lord of Skulls is probably going on my next list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, you, you taking so many characters, like, you know, made me decide on what hyper adaption mm-hmm. that I was going to take for my army, which was like all of my criticals became precision. And that got a yeah. lot of work done. You, yeah, like my captain was, survived I, one round of combat, and then you just like and just yeah. devoured him. <laughs> right. So, like it, it took like those advantages that those leaders gave those units, and just took them away, and then mm. it just made it easier to to kill the rest of the unit. Yeah. Like, in the end, I think I was down to two intercessors and a lieutenant holding my final objective. But at that point, you had already, like, I was going second. We went to five rounds, and, like, round five, you had already scored the objective. So it wasn't like I was going to deny you any points. Because you actually, like, you popped a unit of gargoyles into the middle and just held them there for, like three turns of the game and then turn turn four and like on turn five you just push them onto my objective and there wasn't much i could do to stop you and you had like you had control the only objective i controlled all game was the objective in my deployment zone so i scored eight points on the primary and you scored like 38 because like turn four like i kept you off of a couple of object or like one of the objectives early on but you you ended up like getting onto like the middle three and like there was a fight for who could control like the far right objective and you ended up just killing everything there and I know, like I, I needed more models, and that was the case where, like, we talked about if I'd pulled off like the lieutenants, and if I'd maybe not taken the redemptor, and instead taken like a a chaplain and a unit of uh, death company on jet, jump packs, I could have jumped into your back lines where you had a pair of biovores hey. hammering me with indirect fire, and right. uh, yeah, and then I Which, that might have turned the game a bit. 
didn't, yeah, that, that definitely would have been a thing I would have had to, like, figure out how I would, would deal with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that would have basically just meant that instead of the pyrovore and the zoanthropes going to kind of help support the hive tyrant, they would have fallen back towards that objective to help the py- the, the biovores. Right. Which, but it would have which, taken the pressure off of me a bit. Uh, and I think. Right. Yeah. Yes. So again, kind of losing, like, especially at a thousand points. And Kevin, you found this out to be true too, where it's like you don't have a lot of options. It's very easy to list in during or to lose during list building at a, you know, at low point yeah. levels. Yeah. No, the, the, the balance of this game is definitely not at the lower point levels, which is interesting because I think that's why, like, Combat Patrol is specifically its own thing. Like, the game is meant to be played at 1,500, 2,000 points or higher. So, uh, I I'm excited with the with the escalation league here to, to get into those higher point totals um, and s- kind of see what happens and then I would also like to at some point like start playing some combat patrol games just to see if uh, how balanced that actually is at those lower levels mm-hmm. if that's if it feels different than just playing a 500 point game or you know a thousand it, point game etc. It does feel different, Kevin and. As playing a bunch of combat patrols, and in a couple of weeks I'll do another combat patrol tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Although after learning the game, I think it's great for learning the game, but because even faction rules can act differently, yeah, it. I feel like this next one I go to, it's going to be harder for me to not do the standard faction rules because not all of them are there. Because I believe it is more balanced than just taking 500 points or something. Yeah. It, yeah, well, it good. is. Cause like, yeah. the, like the space Marine ones don't, you don't reroll wounds. You just reroll hits for Otha moment, which is a big difference. So following up on something you, you mentioned there about like learning the game, learning your factions, maybe this is just me. Cause I've only played like, this is like the f- sixth games that I've played of 10th edition thus far. Yeah, stratagems feel less clunky than they did in previous editions, but I kind of feel like with the unit cards and with the mission cards and like all of the little like extra things, it's it feels like there's more of a learning curve to like get used to the game. I don't know. Has anybody yes. else ran into that? Like it, it all of these tools are there that that effectively will make the game simpler, but I think it makes the learning curve steeper. Yeah, I can I can see that. Like I it like I went from like I was playing a fir- my first few games and I was just using the app to mm-hmm. on my phone to, you know, give me all of my unit like info and all my rules and like everything. And and then like I found that a little like cumbersome just based on, you know, having to, you know, flip around to a bunch of different screens and fat finger, like, press the wrong <laughs> thing, and then you gotta go forward again, and it, it... But then, there was kind of the same thing with, like, you know, I have a stack of cards, and I'm playing my Tyranids, and I have mm-hmm. a bunch of units, so, like, I've got, like, this big stack of cards that, that I gotta, like, flip through to... to make sure I'm on the right one and, and that I'm, you know, reading my rules right again. So, yeah, like there's, it, it feels 
like just as bookkeepy as as it used to be, but I think like once I'm used to it, it'll like it always felt like bookkeepy before. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. there was there like wasn't like a getting used to it. Like it all like it always felt that way, at least yeah. to me. But then again, I didn't play that many games in ninth. So sure, sure. That that's no, probably I, what it was. But like, I feel like once I get used to like using the cards and once I get used to it. I feel like yeah. it will feel less bookkeepy and be a lot easier. Okay, I'll yeah. echo Richard on this one because I, I think because most of the rules are on the unit cards, you'll use some units more and have to learn them, and then mm. those abilities feel like they're part of the unit rather than just some situational stratagem that might come up once in a blue moon. So I, And then also with the missions... And how you score points and that changing with the tactical. Um, I like it. And, and I'm going to see, like, yeah. right now I still have to read all the cards. So it, it is slow down there. But once you have done it enough, like Richard's saying, once you get used to it, then you'll be able to see just the title of the card, know exactly what it yeah. is. So mm-hmm. I think it, it is the same bookkeeping to start but because of the way it's situated in here's my missions, here's my tactical, here's my units, it'll become easier as you get used to it. Yeah, I don't yeah. disagree with that. And I do wish there was, and I guess this is where fixed objectives would come in, but I do wish that we had kind of a middle between like the combat patrol where you have a fixed secondary or you can choose one of two secondaries and that is your secondary objective for the game. And like we had had those, and then we've got the Leviathan tournament packet, which is either pick one of these fixed objectives, which not all the ones in the deck can be selected for that, or go tactical, and that's a whole set of things to keep track of. It'd be nice if there was kind of a middle ground where you could make, and maybe you just say, "Hey, we're not playing with secondaries; we're just going to play primary," and we're just going to try to learn our units because it would just be one less moving piece yeah. that you would have to, to juggle because yeah, I do think that when you are learning what your units do there, there's more there because it's more than just like a stat line and a weapon profile, which is what a lot of stuff was in past editions. And now it's a stat line, a mm. weapon profile or, you know, multiple weapon profiles. And then, Oh, and there's this th- this thing that they do, and it you know it's that whole every unit does something unique, uh, but it does it is more to track that way. But having the unit cards and because they're not necessarily as situational as like stratagems were, I do think yeah it will get easier to learn it over time, and yeah you don't have to worry as much about your opponent pulling gotchas on you either because you can just say hey can I see what your or you can look up like what does their unit do things like that so that's. That's helpful. Yeah, I just, it was very interesting because, like I said, especially in this Escalation League, which again is is targeted for people playing the new edition. So, like, I get that, but it just feels like we've ran into a lot of, like, you know, a a lot of slowdowns because of, like, the the bookkeeping and stuff. And yeah, maybe it will, you know, the tools are all there that as we go further into the edition, we'll get faster with it. But I just, I thought it was worth bringing up and I'm, you know, wanted to see if other people were having that issue. Um, And I think, you know, 
I know we, you know, we we're not doing necessarily listener mail the same way we've been before, but I think it'd be an interesting to hear from other people that as they've been playing 10th edition for the last month to see like what issues they're having, like what the learning curve is like for people that are returning to the game or just learning 10th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, I, I, it's, it's very interesting because anytime you have a new edition, obviously there's a learning curve. It just feels, feels to me like the learning curve is a little bit steeper in this edition, especially than what I expected it to be. Um, and I hope that, you know, as we get further into it, get more comfortable, the tools are there that it won't be as, you know, it, once you get over the learning curve, it'll, it'll be smoother sailing, but yeah, it's just yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to use this as an opportunity to move to, we've got about a half hour left in recording time. So we're going to switch over to, uh, the, the other topic I wanted to bring up, which is a tale of two Xenos. And specifically, I'm going to be comparing the Eldari and the Tau. Now I'm not going to do, we don't have the time to do a unit by unit comparison. So I just, there's a couple, there's like a few I want to pick out and kind of point out the fact that the difference between these two armies is, at least according to the Meta Mondays, about a 30% win rate difference because mm-hmm. Eldari are at 65% and uh, Tau are around 35%. Is and that a big gap? It's, 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 a, it's definitely outside of the sweet spot that they like to go for. So is so, Photon. Um. Well, yes, Voton are also in a bad spot, but I'm not talking about them right now because I don't play them. So <laughs> there, I can. Nobody cares about Voton. <laughs> no, Dennis cares about Voton. I do. I know, I know. <laughs> I know you do. Um, but like, I wanted to like the because when I was playing the against uh Trainer Wolf's uh, Eldari, uh, you know, he had triple fire prism, and I started think, you know, it got me thinking. Okay, well, the Fire Prism is really good. You see it in nearly every Eldar list right now because it is really, really good. And it just got a points bump. Like, they they just raised the cost on it. So, all right, well, how does it compare? Like, may, maybe I need to... Because, like, I've been using broadsides for my rail rifle, you know, for rail guns. Like, well, maybe I should look at bringing a hammerhead. And so I started comparing the two. And I'm like, oh... This is an issue. So, and I'm not saying that everything should be a cookie cutter. No, absolutely not. But let's let's talk about the differences here. Okay, so the hammerhead and the and the fire prism. They both both serve pretty identical rules. They they're really really good at cracking vehicles open. Um, the fire prism, T9, twelve wounds, three up save. The Hammerhead, T10, 14 wounds, 3-up save. Okay, so the Hammerhead is definitely a little bit harder to kill. Um, the uh, But it's also bracketed at 5 wounds, whereas the Fire Prism is only bracketed at 4. Uh, the Fire Prism moves 14 inches. The Hammerhead only moves 10. Well, okay, Eldari move faster. That's to be understood. That's fine. Um, let's look. And then of course there's the guns. The the main thing, like if we're going to compare apples to apples, we need to look at the rail gun because the rail gun com- compared to the prism cannons focused Lance version are serving roughly the same job. Now the rail gun can be super nasty. 
strength 20. It's one of the highest, not the highest strength, but it's one of the highest strength weapons in the game. AP 5, D6 plus 6 damage, heavy, devastating wounds, 72 inches range, which doesn't really matter on a 44 by 60 table. Like, the 72 inches is a little bit, you know, unnecessary. Um, whereas the prism cannon... It's only a 60-inch range, but again, on the table sizes we're dealing with, 60 inches is pretty much, if you can see it, you can shoot it. Strength 18, AP minus 4, a fixed 6 damage. Not devastating wounds, so no chance of getting past, uh, like, an invuln save or anything. But there's another big, there's a couple of big differences. One, the railgun is one shot, the prism cannon is two. Also, the Prism Cannon natively hits on threes. The uh, Railgun hits on fours. Now, I can make it a three if I either don't move or if I have somebody guide it using For the Greater Good. The Eldari one, like the Fire Prism, doesn't need any extra support. It can shoot and move and still be hitting on threes. And it can also stay out of line of sight as long as there's another fire prism within sight and shoot that way. So, like, it doesn't even need to make itself visible to be able to shoot a target. And then it's like, okay, well, the hammerhead can at least re-roll a wound roll or a hit roll with its targeting array. Yeah, but so can the fire prism, only it can re-roll both. It can re-roll one hit roll and one wound roll. And it's like, the Fire Prism seems, like, as far as damage output, seems superior in just about every way. Fixed six damage, so, like, the Railgun, sometimes you'll you'll hit, you'll get a shot through, and you'll do D6, you'll roll your D6 plus six and roll a one, and oh, oh, look, I did seven damage, whereas the Fire Prism could theoretically do 12 pretty easily, pretty consistently. This is getting beyond, this does not even take into account the fact that what is Eldari's power? Dice fixing. (laughs) You can make sure one of those hits. You can make sure one of those wounds. You're not going to use it on the fire prism. You'll save it for something else. You'll save it for something (laughs) else. You know why? Because that crystal matrix that lets you reroll a hit roll and a wound roll stacks with your detachment ability. So you can reroll both hit rolls and both wound rolls. It's the, whereas what's the Tau's ability? If I'm guided, I get sustained hits too after turn three. I have yet to have a te- uh, a game against Eldari where I lived past turn three. <laughs> it's so, it's like, all right, so there's definitely some big advantages to playing the Fire Prism. Well, that that's fine. The Fire Prism is more expensive than the Hammerhead, right? By five points. Its price bump got it to 150, which is five points more than a hammerhead. It is almost consistently better and doesn't need the support of other units in the army to function. And it's like, were these designed by the same studio? Because this doesn't feel right. I mean, Uh, to me, this goes into similar things take different turns because the fire prism has been bad for a few editions now so this is the first time it's been good for a while and the hammerhead at one point was like everyone was taking them so it, it is definitely on a downturn right now mm-hmm. 
and that that is true but i think from a a balanced perspective it's like these two things that supposedly serve similar roles are very like they don't feel consistent and i think some of that does have to do with the fact that the army rules make the fire prism significantly better by comparison and i don't think like point values are taking that into account yeah i think what this really illuminates to me is like i said the the army faction abilities and like how you know strands of fate and like the you know the ability to to auto hit isn't comparable to like well if you buddy up with another unit you get a plus one to hit i don't know it it definitely it definitely feels like that's kind of the core of of some of it obviously there's other issues as well but it feels like the big difference is the faction abilities yeah well and then beyond that let's talk a little bit of flexibility the hammerhead if you take the railgun does not have much flexibility like it is a tank killer it is made to kill to mm-hmm. kill tanks and monsters now once upon a time and by once upon a time i mean as recently as ninth edition they had a submunitions ability that would allow you to do something against infantry that is not available anymore it's not in the data sheet there's no stratagem for it it just doesn't exist anymore it, it does but not in a good way the, their way of handling it is devastating wounds. And there, it's yeah, very, you, you very got, inconsistent. Yeah, you got to hope for a six. Uh, you got to hope that you hit, and you got to hope that you wound, and that you roll a six when you wound. Whereas the fire prism has a two d six attack blast alternate fire mode. So, oh, I don't have any vehicles to kill. That's fine. the The one benefit is that the uh, dispersed pulse, the blast shot for the fire prism, doesn't have link linked fire so they at least have to be able to see the target to do it but yeah it's it's like strikes me as like wildly different design philosophy and yet the pointing them nearly identically doesn't seem right and beyond that i've been just like looking at other things um like the fact that like i take an ethereal on my list because he's basically free cp generation i get a i get a cp every other turn because i have to roll a d6 and on a four up i get an extra cp super useful when it goes off hugely beneficial especially things like strike and fade cost two cp eldari get an autark that just as long as he's your warlord you get a free cp every turn it just happens you don't have to roll for it it just happened now i will say like the ethereal is 50 points and the uh autark is well 65 and is actually functional in combat, unlike the ethereal. So that seems fair. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's there's just some like design bits like that that I I don't get. Like okay, so th- like the the Altaric, if he's leading a unit, they can use a strat twice. If the ethereal's leading a unit, they get a five up feel no pain. It's not nothing, but. The Autark is just better in every way. He's got a three up, four up. The uh, Ethereal does not. The Ethereal has a five, a six up, five up. The Ethereals aren't known for combat, while an Autark no, has supposedly went through every school. Every true, aspect. true. But like from a mechanics and a point standpoint and a utility standpoint. Again, the Autark seems like he's just 
like better at doing all the things than the ethereal does, but is not pointed so significantly more to indicate that he's better. And again, that's on top of strands of fate and other faction abilities. And it's like, I, I cannot. And, you know, especially after seeing games played, playing through games and seeing what these armies can do, it does not feel like there is a consistent design philosophy between, like, I'd say within a faction, there is. Be- between factions, there is not. And I think we see, you know, we see that with Votan. We see that with Death Guard. Yeah. We see, like, the armies that are suffering are not just suffering because they're overcosted. It's because their mechanics are literally inferior. Like, they are not as good at doing the things that they are supposed to be doing as other yeah. factions are for the same point value. Well, so an interesting point of comparison for this, um, it, because this is the last game I played. So I was playing World Leaders against Chaos Marines, and bo- both played very melee-heavy lists, both played like very you know similar things. Like, I took 8-bound, he took Possessed, he took Tozen, I had Berserkers. But the one thing I realized is... You know, he was able to every turn if basically every unit sustained hits. I got sustained hits when I double, you know, doubles or triples in the casino of corn. And if I didn't, then I got like extra movement. So like it, it was very it was interesting to see that like, oh yeah, no, if you build like a melee, you know, space chaos space marine army, you can actually build a more consistently better melee army. And it was just interesting because like yeah, it, as you mentioned here, like units that should do kind of the same thing and even have a lot of the same rules function wildly differently and like point costs don't quite balance across there. And I, I would hope they'll get to that, you know, the correct balance as we move forward. But it's very interesting to start off with. Yeah. And and in the Meta Watch episode, they did say like the underperforming factions should look for attention next. But I'm I'm hoping it's not just points drops. Like, I don't know if that's mm. sufficient. That'll just give you more points to give up and, and kill one, kill more. I, you know, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's like, I don't necessarily, like, low, like, lowering the points on on certain things would make them more efficient. It's like, I, I don't take hammerheads right now because one shot with the super rail gun is not as good as two shots with a sing, you know, with a broadside. Like, I can get four shots out of a pair of broadsides for not a whole lot more. Like, like I said, it's 145 for a single, uh, for a single, uh, hammerhead or for a, it's 220 points for a pair of broadsides, but I get, I, you know, it's strength 12 shooting, which is almost good enough against most vehicles. It's good enough. Yeah, I'd and, say strength twelve is the the break point for your vehicle hunter. Yeah, and like strength twenty, sure it's great, but it's you know it's wounding, like it's only wounding the weakest of vehicles on twos. It's wounding most vehicles on threes, which is what my strength twelve is doing. Yeah. Um, no, this is making me think of Rob. What's that? Remember in the past where we had like know your slot. Mm-hmm. 
I think we could revive that with know your role. Are you an infantry hunter thing? Are you a vehicle hunter thing? And like maybe go through either top few or top one in each faction of your or what or maybe what each faction has for killing. Because it sounds like when you said I could take the hammerhead, but the broadsides are better. That reminds me of like, oh, I could take this in my elite slot, but this other thing's better. Mm -hmm. And just expare what's what on the army fills that role for the army. Yeah. Now, I would point out taking three broadsides in a unit is not a good idea because then you're overcommitting because that's the other problem that the Tau design has is because of the way for the greater good is set up where you are penalized if you shoot at anything that wasn't you weren't pointed at for spotting. Um, you don't want to split fire. Split fire. Splitting fire is bad. It's an actively bad idea to split fire because now you're hitting on fives instead of fours against the thing that you weren't targeted at. So the Tau army ends up having to overcommit to a target when they probably when no other faction really needs to. And uh, like I was looking at the Storm Surge compared to the Wraith Knight, also not a fair comparison. Uh, there is 10 points that separates them. And yet the Wraith Knight can split fire all day long between like its shoulder mounted, like star cannons and its heavy Wraith cannons. Whereas the storm surge, if it shoots at anything besides its primary target, it's hitting on fives and it's practically useless. I still have my complaint on the Wraith Knight versus the Wraith Knight, but that's a different issue. But yeah, it's, you know, it, this is, you know, it's a little bit of me kind of venting a little bit, but it's also just like the more I've, the more games I've been playing and the more I've been looking at different factions, it's like, I think the fundamentals of 10th are very strong. I like the way 10th edition plays. I cannot help but think that the balance is very clearly off at the faction level. Like, I think the internal balance is pretty decent. Minus, you know, like some point changes, you know, affecting the efficiency of certain units. But between factions, the balance is all over the place. And it doesn't feel like there was a cohesive design that looked at like faction to faction. And I'm I'm not sure how that's, you know, for, for such a major edition launch that they said they've been working on for the last year. It's like it feels like the factions were kind of designed last or it, maybe they designed it with the factions with feel of the faction in mind and not how do they all compare in a balanced scale. <laughs> yeah, which I mean is you're is like I think you know we're we're a month into the edition being out now and like we've like going in like people were already like oh yeah Eldari is super strong Gene Sulicults are are just you know they're finding out are super strong like Imperial Knights are have the potential to be super strong. And the, the factions that aren't don't feel like, like oh, we're super weak. And like even Chaos Knight players are feeling like, yeah, Imper we got hit with the same point increases that Imperial Knights do, even though because of their army rules, the Imperial Knights are just explicitly better because of like the rerolling. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like their faction ability is way better than we make Battleshock worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would be cool. It's not. To be fair, they haven't completely um, been like equitable with all of their points increases. You know, they 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 do look a little bit of that because, like for example, the World Eaters Lord of Skulls went up way more than the regular Lord of Skulls. <laughs> so, 
Well, ju- just be happy they didn't move it to Legends for only world leaders. <laughs> I mean, they moved my kite to Legends, so... <laughs> and my Blood Slaughters and my Brown Scorpion. Anyway, um, but yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's just because your yeah. faction is legendary. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting, like, how... I think I was, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. The problem, the, the, the biggest problem I have with putting in the fixed unit sizes in the game, which makes list building much easier. I like not having to fiddle with that stuff. So, like, I don't have a major, major problem with it. But the biggest problem that I have is that you now limit a lot of what you can do with point tweaks. Like, it makes it harder to balance units through just points. Like in last edition, they could kind of tweak points up and down a little bit, and you can kind of make it, you know, distance out of certain things. But now, it, I don't know, it just, it feels like it's going to be harder to adjust those points um, evenly for units. So you're going to have to start doing other things. Um, I don't know, it just, the whole thing that we talked about, like, leading up to this edition of, like, them expanding the design space and doing things that, you know, increase the toughness spread and increasing these things there that, that like allow them to do more unique things in the game. And then they do something like, yeah, we're going to lock in units and points. It just, it feels like they're contracting the design space in, in weird ways and taking things off the table that they balance points that they had, that they will be more limited going forward. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know how you solve some of these issues. Because like you said, I don't think you can do it through points. I think you have to do it through rules changes and, you know, maybe in some cases, unit profile changes, things like that. And that creates all sorts of problems because, you know, we've we've talked about, well, we have the cards. And they're like, well, we don't want to change the stats because, you know, we've printed these cards. So I don't know. It's very... It's very interesting. I, I don't know how you necessarily solve this easily across the board. Yeah. And I, yeah. And like, while we've had things like the increased toughness of, of you know, of vehicles and things like that, which have made vehicles a bit more resilient, the things that used to deal with vehicles in many cases, don't or barely do. Las cannons are still really good, but pl- Melta is useless now. Melta barely wounds vehicles on fives. Why isn't it have anti-armor? Like anti-armor four or something like that, where it's like, it doesn't care how tough you are. It can crack or anti-vehicle. Like, why doesn't it do that? Because like Melta guns, nobody wants Melta guns. Plasma guns are barely useful. Like, Strength 8 is still good because it kills Marines on twos, but Meltaguns tend to have very few shots, very low range. Um, and even if Melta they do seems get... the best as monster killers. Yeah, but, but even then, a lot of, a lot yeah, of monsters are like T10, T11. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's odd that there's plenty of units that were, like, leaning heavily on, like... Again, Tau, for example, all our fusion blasters got lost six inches of range to be just like everybody else's melt guns and they're strength nine, and they are useless at doing what they used to do. Well, I'll, I'll say going in that way, sisters, I, I, I think Castigator's, what, the only big tank they've got to deal with vehicles, because you can't take any of the Melta anymore, because like you said, that doesn't do 
squad um, exorcists diesel. aren't bad if you don't take the conflagration launcher if you take just the the regular um like let's see exorcist yeah if you but take the I, exorcist I, missile launcher okay it's strength 10 it's still bad okay it's, yeah yeah but, but then but so is the castigator is... the castigator battle cannon is strength 10 okay but my my point is they used to have you could take field a lot of melted to take care of big things and now mm-hmm. sisters don't have an answer <laughs> no they do it's called hunter killer missiles that's what every every because they're free everybody's packing them because there's no reason not to and it's your one like strength 14 one shot shot which tau have seeker missiles that do basically the same thing but are slightly worse in ap and are worse in ballistic skill that's also not great um that gives you a lot of feel bads for when your one shot shots miss. Whereas like the castigator has a hunter killer missile that hits on twos. <laughs> Again, not all these things are made the same. Although I will say in the Tau's defense, seeker missiles, or I should say in the castigator's defense, seeker missiles for the Tau, you can take two of them per vehicle instead of just one. Um. Anyway, uh, we're running out of time, but I uh, just want to kind of plant that idea in everyone's heads that we need, to, like, hopefully Games Workshop is looking at the faction-to-faction balance. We're seeing it in tournament results. We're seeing it in just, like, list building and seeing, like, oh, these two things that should have similar roles or these factions don't have, are missing holes that they used to be able to fill because the army design has not kept up from faction to faction and with the like we were hoping that they would stick it with some of the new philosophies and i don't think they necessarily have um but we're early in the edition there's still plenty of time for them to address some of those issues and i think you know fortunately they've been collecting data um they didn't want to make any huge changes right out the gate and they say they feel that the eldari changes have toned things down i'm going to say maybe slightly it's brought them down from a 70% to a 65% win rate but <laughs> they are still overwhelmingly good but uh anyway uh we will be back in a couple of weeks uh and uh, we will talk about new topics, possibly looking at how to how to do things like crack armor for particular editions. Or yeah, I think actually that'd be a really good topic, like how to deal with vehicles in the new edition. So maybe we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Uh, good night, good gaming, and uh, keep getting those games in and give GW the data they need to show that the game's not quite where they need it to be. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. 
They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. <laughs> 